Well, good morning to you all. Glad you could make it. Understand why many have chosen not to be with us. We're continuing our series in John's Gospel, a series that we've entitled Follow My Leader. I kicked off this series uh, some while ago, and I mentioned then that all of us are following someone or something. Follow my leader. We're talking about following Jesus. We're talking about Christian discipleship. You may remember I mentioned that from my perspective, there are three elements. There is, first of all, listening to Jesus. How do we do that? Well, as we read through the Gospels, we get a very real sense of what Jesus is saying about himself, about his relationship with the Father, and about how we should relate to one another. Listening to Jesus, then learning from Jesus. Again, as we read the Gospels, we can see how Jesus acts and reacts to other people. Then, of course, we are to live for Jesus. Having Jesus by his Spirit inside us enables us to live for Jesus every single day. Now, chapter 11 is a fairly long chapter, so I'm going to share a brief synopsis of what happens in these verses. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. He is very, very unwell. The sisters send word to Jesus. Now, Jesus has a, a, a real uh, loving relationship with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, but he stays where he is for two more days. In the meantime, Lazarus dies. Jesus tells his disciples, we're going to wake Lazarus up. Sleep was a, a euphemism uh, for death. In the next section of the chapter, Hedda, Jesus comforts the sisters. He's met by Martha, and Jesus tells her that Lazarus is going to rise again. Both Mary and Martha tell Jesus the same thing. Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Jesus is overcome with grief and weeps for his beloved friend Lazarus. They move to the tomb. Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus, uh, Lazarus comes out of the tomb. He is unwrapped. The bandages are taken off. Jesus has raised him from the dead, and Lazarus is alive. So today, we're looking at follow my leader to experience comfort. How did Jesus act and react in this situation? Whenever part of life is removed, there is a very real sense of loss. We call it grief. Unfortunately, we can't avoid grief. The only way that we could do that would be to live in isolation, to cut off relationships with others and become like an island. Some of you will recognize the lyrics of this song from yesteryear. Don't talk of love, I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory of feelings that have died. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. 
If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. An island never cries. Some of you are singing that to yourselves. And that picture of Simon and Garfunkel was probably taken several years ago. If you know what they look like now. God created us to live in relationship. In relationship with himself and in relationship with others. Most of us don't want to live in isolation, so we are inevitably exposed to the possibility of experiencing grief. The experience of grief is universal. It's been described as an important normal response to the loss of any significant object or person. Any loss can bring about a sense of grief. We automatically think of death, but we can experience a, a sense of grief as a result of many life events. Divorce, retirement, loss of a pet, uh, moving job, moving house, moving to a different area, moving to a different church. Childlessness uh, can bring with it a sense of grief. Singleness can also bring with it a sense of grief as well. The experience of grief is universal. But most significant grief experiences tend to revolve around people. Grief is the price we pay for love. Grief is the price we pay for love. That's what the Queen wrote in a letter to the American people after the Twin Towers tragedy of 9-11. I recognize as I was preparing this message that for some of you it might be especially painful. You may have recent vivid memories of losing someone you love, or you're still struggling with the loss of the loved one from maybe many years ago. For others, you have yet to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For you, this message will be preparatory for what will inevitably happen. Next thing I want to say is that grief is a process. There are different stages the grieving person uh, goes through. There have been various attempts to tabulate these, uh, these stages in what is known as the normal grieving process. There are situations where grief is described as being complicated, maybe because somebody has been murdered or somebody has taken their own life. But in the majority of situations, we're talking about the normal grieving process. Understanding these stages can give us an insight into our own experience and how we can be used by God to support others. Those of you who have lost loved ones will know that grief is hard work. It's hard work. It's tiring, can be debilitating. Reverend Jim Graham, a Baptist minister, so I feel okay to quote him, said this, there are no twins in grief. What he meant by that was simply that 
two people can lose the same loved one, and yet they will grieve in different ways. Stages I'm going to share with you now can overlap. Uh, They can take months to go through, or even years. Stage one is that initial shock, uh, that numbness. Suddenly the news is received, he's gone. She's died. The initial shock and disbelief. It takes time for the news to sink in, even if it was expected. Many of you will know exactly where you were when you heard the news. It takes time for the news to sink in, even if it was expected. A sense of disorientation, an inability to, to concentrate. Everything just seems as if it's too much effort. There's a numbness, almost like being under an anesthetic. People find themselves in this stage in a daze. Then we move to stage two, which is fantasy, should be versus reality. Person is gradually coming to terms with what has happened, but move between what is like a a dreamlike state, thinking, oh, they'll just come through the front door in a moment, to actually the reality of the fact that the loved one has actually died. Stage might become uh, accompanied by a sense of guilt. If only I'd have taken him or her to the doctors or to a different doctor. If only I'd have said this, or if only I hadn't said that, guilt can creep in at this stage. Let me just reiterate that these stages are not discrete in the sense that they automatically follow one another. You can reach a stage and then go back to the previous stage. Then we have the release of grief. That often overlaps with the previous stage person comes to the point where they recognize the reality of their loss and their emotions are released. We find this with David in the Old Testament. Psalm 6 verse 5, I'm worn out from sobbing. Grief is hard work. Every night tears drench my bed. My pillow is wet from weeping. My vision is blurred by grief. Then we come to the shortest verse in the Bible contained within John 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. I want you to visualize that. Jesus wept at the loss of his friend Lazarus. You see, it's important to recognize that Jesus experienced the trauma of grief as he responds to the death of his friend. It reminds us that Jesus isn't immune from the heartache that life sometimes throws up. Hebrews 4, verse 15, in the message version, says this, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. Jesus can identify with us. He can identify with us when we're being criticized. He was harassed, and hounded by the religious authorities. He can identify with us when those who said they were his friends 
actually deserve today. He can identify with us in our grief, sorrow, and tears. And then, possibly, in some cases, there is anger as a result of losing a person. Mary and Martha say that exactly the same words to Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, it's possible, and it's been suggested, that Mary and Martha were possibly being critical of Jesus because he delayed coming to them in their time of need. Can you understand the two ways you can actually say that? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Same words, different emphasis. We don't know what was in their hearts. We do know that Mary said, but we know that God can raise him from the dead. Jesus was going to perform a miracle, a greater miracle than they had expected. He delayed coming to them in their time of need as they thought that he was going to perform the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Sometimes a bereaved person may feel angry with God. God, he had so much to live for. God, why do you take her so young? Questions that people fire at God. It's important to know that God can handle these questions. God can handle this anger. You read through the Psalms and see how David was angry with God. We can be angry with other people who just seem well, they're just carrying on through life as if nothing has happened. They're totally unaware of the pain and the heartache that I'm going through. Some people are actually angry with a dead person for leaving them on their own. Stage four is the stage of acceptance or readjustment. When the loss has been accepted, grief has been released, memories no longer bring unbearable pain. The pain is still there, but it's not as unbearable as it was. People begin to adjust to a new life uh, without their loved one. But there's one thing all grieving people need, that is hope. When Paul writes to the Romans, he says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is a God of hope. Amen? He's a God of hope in the situation we are facing now. He wants to bring hope into our lives. In this stage, there's time, perhaps, for people to develop a new interest or uh, new relationships. Time to look forward, realize, yes, there is hope. We don't forget the past. We don't lose memories of our loved ones, but we look to the future because we're looking to God, who's the God of hope. It's important to recognize that God wants to help us through our grief. Our God is a great God, as we've been singing 
in worship this morning. Our God's a great God. We can rest in his presence. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Times in the grieving process, people think, I'll never, ever get through this. We hear people say, well, time's a great healer. Uh, in one sense, that, that may be true, but it's actually God who is the great healer because he brings us hope and there's rest in his presence. Psalm 23, verse 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The word comfort in our English language actually means with strength, with strength. And that's our next point. We can rely on his power, his strength, because he is a God who puts strength into our hearts. Paul says, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God can raise the dead. He can bring hope into every single life. Our God's a great God. Uh, we can receive his promise. Death is the last great enemy. But Jesus has changed the meaning of death. Here is the triumph of the gospel message, of the Christian message. As Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me even though they, like everyone else, will, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They're given eternal life for believing in me, and I will never, I will never perish. I am the resurrection and the life. We'll talk more about that on Easter Sunday, should we be meeting here. Jesus says, if you believe in me, even though you die, you're going to live again. Jesus has power over life, but over death as well. Power to forgive sins, but power over life and death. Whoever believes in Christ, whoever chooses to, promise, uh, to follow Christ, has a spiritual life that death cannot diminish or conquer. So, the final section of what I want to share this morning is this. How can I be used by God to comfort others? Firstly, God can use our dark experiences for good purposes. Hang on to this verse this morning because it proves how you and I can be a blessing to others. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Paul is saying, when we've received comfort from God, we can be a conduit through which that comfort can be received by others. We often feel totally inadequate uh, when friends, loved ones uh, have, have lost a person. What can I say? What can I do? I'm reminded of the first time I experienced grief. It's when I lost my mum many, many years ago. Of course, my mum was the best mum in the world. Yeah? No. 
She was, as far as I was concerned, the best mum in the world. And I was, I was at home on a Sunday night, and a young Christian man, must have been in his early 20s at the time, came round, and he obviously wanted to support me in my time of grief. And we sat in the lounge for about half an hour. I think we probably spoke two or three sentences each. He was just there. Didn't feel as if he had to say anything. He was just there. And that, and that made a great impact upon my life. I remember at her burial, there was a friend of mine from the church, an older man. I could just see him on the horizon. He'd just come to pay his respects. Didn't want to show that he was there, but that made a big impact. We need to remember there are no pat answers. Listen to what Vance Havner says. Whoever thinks he or she is the ways of God conveniently tabulated, analyzed, and correlated with convenient glib answers to ease every question from aching hearts has not been far in the maze of mystery we call life and death. You see, people aren't looking for pat answers. They're not looking for glib comments. What they're looking for is people who care. People who care. So here are a couple of things that might be helpful. Um, next thing is to be present and available, if that's possible, before and after the funeral. Encourage people to express their feelings, but, but don't pressurize. Uh, Julius told me that uh, uh, in times gone by in Wales, they used to slap women's faces in order to make them cry. Is that right, Julie? I'm not making it up. Thank you. Big men don't cry. Jesus did. Jesus did. And he gives us permission to express our grief in that way. Listen carefully. People want to tell their story many times. If you have the opportunity to ask people questions about memories they have, the time spent with a person, all part of releasing the grief. Provide practical help, maybe meals, transport. Don't say, call me if you need help. People very, very rarely will offer the help. Pray if appropriate, but don't preach at the person. Maybe if it's appropriate, yeah, share a verse of Scripture. That will be easier for people are followers of Jesus if they're Christians. And be alert to anniversaries, Christmas, etc. Perhaps God will use your experience of grief so that you can be of help to others. So Lazarus was raised to life, but he subsequently died. His death was delayed. It was just a postponement. But for the Christian... For the follower of Jesus, death is not the end. It's the gateway into the very presence of God. Revelation 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There'll be no more death. 
or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I close with a quote from Dwight Lehman Moody, death may be the king of terrors, but Jesus is the king of kings. If you're going through a bereavement time, our prayers are that you know God's presence you know that he cares. You know that he wants to comfort and strengthen you. May God use us to be a strength and a comfort to all who mourn. Amen.